1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Troy News. is an Absolute Podcast. Uh, we have kind of a special weird week this week after the Clemson game. John is away. Uh, he, ha- he and his uh, wife just had a baby girl, so congratulations to them. So in his stead, we have Corey Crissin and Steve Howler, who will be here to talk Clemson and Pitt with me. So, how's it going, everyone?
2: What's up, Dan?
1: How's it going? How are we living? We we're living pretty well.
3: Doing good here, Dan.
1: Awesome. Um, So, obviously, we are coming off of our first loss of the season, a 27-23 defeat at Clemson. Kind of an up-and-down game where we we honestly, like, in terms of of watching the game, it felt like we dominated at least the first three quarters. Uh, Clemson turned it on in the the final quarter, especially that last drive, led by Travis Etienne, uh, after Trevor Lawrence came out of the game. So... Kind of a bittersweet performance, I think. We, we proved that we could hang with the Tigers um, once again, but it would have been—I mean, if we had won this game down at number three Clemson, we'd probably be sitting somewhere in like the top fifteen this, this week, which would be nuts.
3: Oh, absolutely. Um,
1: so yeah, what are you—what are you guys' uh, like first takeaways from after we—you know—had a couple days to digest what that game was, and uh, obviously it was a tough defeat. But how are you guys feeling about it a couple days later?
3: The, the biggest thing that I've said to a couple of a uh, couple of colleagues this week was it wasn't that we lost that game you know well pretty much everybody expected us to lose that game it was how we lost that game just having it in our hands in the fourth and just not being able to quite get over that hump I think it's still leaving a little bit of a bitter taste in the mouth
2: I, I just think it was the fact that there were too many opportunities to get six. And they didn't get six; they settled for three, or they had to kick, or they had to punt it away. You know, especially like the first drive of the game, where you know Syracuse was going right down the field, and then all of a sudden they get into Clemson territory. They get the ball in the 37, and then they stall out from there. Basically, they run uh, five plays, they run a first and a second down, and pick up a first down, and then they go three and out from that point. And that was just kind of a small sample of what we we're going to see the rest of the day. It was that Syracuse was off to that fast start that we're used to seeing from them. And then in the end, they kind of fizzled out, and Clemson, they showed why they're one of the best programs in the country.
1: Yeah, I think with a team like this, especially playing on the road, um, you know, the, the adage is you, you, can't, you can't settle for field goals against teams like this. And early on, we obviously settled for field goals on those first two drives, as you alluded to, uh, especially the one after, uh, after the fumble where Clemson opened up and gave the ball right to us after two plays. So like, while it was nice to have to sit a, a lead, and then once we were up 23-13, like, you know, we kind of forget about that, but there were definite points left on the field early on, and then that really made it uh, tough to watch us fail to score on those last three drives, and then Clemson obviously with the two late touchdowns to, to take the lead and win it. But overall, like I, I think, what, where do you think this team stands? Do you think we are as good as a lot of people are now saying based on a four-point loss at Clemson, or... Uh, do you think this team kind of still has some work to do to to really prove to the fan base um, that it is where we, we want it to go? Because we're getting a lot of talk about winning, even like nine or ten games now. But like this this game was a, a bit of, of leaving leaving a lot of opportunities on the field, and to win nine or ten games in college football, even like in a down ACC, I don't think you can kind of, you can you can do that against a team like Clemson or even you know some of the the middling ACC Atlantic opponents we have coming up.
2: Well, two of the two of the final games that are on the schedule are against raked opponents. Um, one is at versus NC State, October 27th, and then you play Notre Dame and Yankee Stadium in November. The rest of that appears to be smooth sailing. You got Pit you got Pitt at Pitt, UNC at home, those two teams have not been able to score points this season. Uh, Wake Forest at Wake Forest, Louisville and then at Boston College. I'm not worried about those teams. I'm really not. I think if you could get past Pitt this week, which they should, we'll talk about that later. UNC isn't too much to handle. And then you got NC State at home, and NC State's at 23 right now. You have to figure Syracuse that they come out strong in that game. You know, I feel like these are three winnable games that they have coming up. And realistically speaking, you know, th- this could be a one or two or three loss on the way out the door, and you could be looking at four losses out of max right now. I mean, that's how good you, you got to be feeling about this Syracuse football team. The way they've been scoring the ball – the way they've been stopping on defense the front four has been exceptional this year. So I think there's a high confidence level. Syracuse of course they you want to get that win on Saturday. You want to close out against Clemson, but if anything it shows that you can still hang with the top program in the in the conference and you can hang with better teams that, you know, you're not favored against. You got to be able to go out and and make a statement like that and they did that Saturday if anything aside from winning that game.
3: Yeah, that's a uh... It's a really odd look at the schedule. And Dan, I mean, like you said, people are going to look at up to nine, ten games. I think that's Syracuse fans being Syracuse fans. Um, I mean, you know as well as anybody that, <laughs> you know, we're a roller coastery bunch. <laughs> the people that are looking at it objectively, I'm still looking at that. You know, I, I said six and six prior to the season. You know, give me give me eight reasonably. Uh, we're going to find a game that we're going to not be able to score. Our defense is probably going to give up something. I mean, we're not going to face a better defensive line than that, so I'm not too worried about the offense, but weird things happen with this program. I don't don't know what it is. I don't know how. I just can't overly commit to getting on that 9-10 win bandwagon. It'd be awesome. It'd be great to be back there, but.
1: I'm kind of in the, in the same space as you. I think 9 or 10, like, it's easy to look on paper and say, like, oh, we have, you know, over a 50% chance to win S game. because They already said FBI or S&P or whatever you want to look at, and then add those up, and then you have 9 or 10 wins in some metric. But, like, we, we know very well that you don't win all the 50-50 games. Over the last couple years, we've won none of the 50-50 games. So maybe we do get, like, some karmic retribution, and it comes back, and we win all of them. <laughs> It's more likely, I think, that we win a couple, lose a couple, as you generally would. But it's also, it is funny to to think like, I bet there's a a large swath of fans who expected us to be three or four wins this year again, and really disappointing, and now they get the first like taste of success, or even near success this weekend, and they're jumping over to like 10 wins or bust, and really it's it's not that easy, you're not going to shoot up, like very few teams ever have like a six game, a six win jump in one year. Um, it happens, but very rarely, and I don't know that this team, I'm, I'm not quite convinced that's where we are now, but I do think it's fair to say, like, the level's been raised based on these first five games, and, like, oh, six yeah. and six, like, I would take it in terms of uh, the macro view, getting back to the bowl is, like, the base was, was the big goal this year. I think it would be a little disappointing at this point to, to, to only win two of uh of these last seven, but still, like, I, I want to get to those sits before we start going crazy. Um, obviously, we'll have a big chance against... One of the one of what seemed like the weaker teams left on our schedule with Pitt this weekend, but going back to the uh, you mentioning Clemson's defensive line, which obviously has not so much press this year, um, Steve, you're you're probably the closest watcher of the offensive line this, uh, that we have on the blog. Um, how do you think uh, last year we obviously played really really well against Clemson in the win uh, up up front? How do you think our offensive line fared this weekend?
3: <laughs> it's I I was actually meaning to go back through and do a you know painful uh, casillo style uh, one by one play by play rewatch. But, um, it was as good an effort as we could possibly expect out of that group early on, uh, Lawrence definitely had his way with Aaron service, um, but overall, you know, they adjusted, they made some minor tweaks that really really turned it into uh up until the last couple of drives where they started bringing some outside pressure, really turned it into a solid effort up front, which against a team that's literally got four first-round draft picks coming at them, uh, you can't ask for anything more out of the guys in the trenches. It was it was a good performance, I thought, outside yeah. of Cody Conway's uh, downfield. Oh, God.
1: That, yeah. that, was, mm. that was such a killer. Um, and he had, he had a – what was the mistake he made earlier in the game, too? He had, he had a couple of, like, just bad moments over it,
3: Yeah. What um, I thought
1: was, like, a pretty overall, like, solid performance across – like, obviously the running stats aren't going to blow you away, but – like, oh, yeah, no, I thought it was like about as good as you are I did against Clemson, and and we didn't like. I think we handled the pressure pretty well overall.
3: Definitely, and I don't think, uh, like you said, you're you're not going to rush against that front seven, but in general, you know, they kept. There were probably only five or six times that they could have put more pressure on Dungy. Uh, it was a pretty solid performance from them up front. So I, I can't, you know, there's some minor gripes, but you can't really fault them for anything.
1: Yeah, I'm looking now, and they just come playing two triple option teams. Georgia Tech ran for 146 yards, which is not what they want. And no. Georgia Southern ran for 80 yards. Um, A&M ran on them, uh, but A&M is obviously a very, very talented club. Uh, right. So, yeah, this is not a team that gives up rushing yards. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much about only rushing for 61, uh, especially when we put ourselves in some carry situations late in the game, before, you know, long, uh, down-distance situations and whatnot. Um, defensively, I was super impressed with how our defensive backs handled um, both Trevor Lawrence and Chase Bryce. I think Bryce made some nice plays that we probably didn't expect. But overall, Clemson only threw for 176 yards, and there's a reason they made the move to Trevor Lawrence. And Obviously, he was only in the game for, for you know, a certain period of time. But I expected him to have a much bigger uh, impact on this game, and really we, we held him very much in check, and he's looked very dynamic against everyone else this season. Um, I think we're starting to get to the point where our defensive backfield is pretty legit. Like I, I think we, we were I was I was cautiously optimistic, uh, and have kind of built on that. I think this game might actually be like one of the best performances that we've gotten from defensive backs in years, to be honest. Given all the talent that they have outside.
2: Well, I mean, I was going to make a point. Clemson ran the ball so well against Syracuse, and that's kind of where I want to divvy up this this relationship between the secondary and the front seven because the secondary did shut down uh, Trevor Lawrence, Chase Bryce, no matter who threw the ball. Lawrence, 93 yards on 10 completions, and Bryce, 83 yards on seven completions and an interception. So those two dynamic quarterbacks were shut down by that secondary, but Clemson just ran all over this defense. Travis Etienne, 27 carries, 203 yards and three touchdowns. Adam Choice ran the ball nine times for a 6.4 average. Uh, Tevian Feaster added uh, 44 yards on nine carries. Just those three running backs that Clemson can put out at wherever they want, basically. Wide left, wide right, slot, backfield, wherever they want to put them. These running backs are so dynamic, and this is what Clemson's offense, now that there's quarterback controversy, and of course with Trevor Lawrence making his first career start, you had to think they were going to go a little run heavy against the Orange, and they did that. Now, you've got to give the Orange secondary credit. Like, you guys are alluding to, I completely agree that, yes, this secondary has been one of the best in the country all season. Um, of course, the interceptions have have come along at it's seemingly a premium compared to last season. I think that because this front seven creates that pressure, it allows that secondary to kind of relax and play a little more freely and it's worked out the first few weeks on uh saturday versus clemson you know those quarterbacks were limited in some facet but you gave up you gave a 203 yards to travis Etienne on the ground 7.5 average per carry that is ridiculous even for him
3: well and it almost reminds me of oh god what year was it that uh lsu had for uh, guys in the same backfield. Two years ago. Uh, yeah, that was just painful to watch. But <laughs> there, yeah. There's a level of talent that it's it's just insane to watch when guys are running to their potential. Taking a step back to what you were talking about, the backfield, though, Dan, um, it kind of showed where and where we thought going into the season that the linebackers were probably going to be our weakness. It, it's kind of starting to show that if people who are capable of it can ground and pound us that it might be a little bit of a, a chink in the armor and it's uh, hopefully not something that can get exploited i guess
1: yeah i i think that the end of this game was really like it showed a bit of where the problems can lie like you said with this uh this less linebacker heavy uh more speed on the field scheme yeah i i think i saw some tungsten fans actually complaining about the, how they divvied up carries early on, where they had choice and feasting more, more heavily uh, featured early in, the, early in the game, and then Etienne obviously dominated those final couple drives. But I honestly think that also helped kind of loosen up the Syracuse defense internally, where uh, we were so clearly gassed on that final drive, and Etienne is one of the most dynamic runners in the country uh, and one of the most purely athletic. So I, I don't know that they would have had the same success if it wasn't for how they handled the early game. At the same time, like that makes me a little scared about what A. J. Dillon, if he's healthy, by the time we they roll around, will do. Um, but most teams won't have the rushing attack that Clemson does. So Right.
3: You're not even when Dylan runs into town or well, we're going to up to Chestnut Hill, so I guess when we roll in there, the what he is gonna do as a single back versus being able to trot all three out there and keep his legs fresh for the fourth, it's it's kind of a like hopefully it's gonna be a whole different ballgame.
1: And because it was so late in the game when they were doing this, like, you still had to respect T. Higgins and Hunter Renfrow and Amari Rodgers on yep. the outside, so, and Justin Ross. Like, they have so much receiving talent, and while it wasn't a huge factor in the box score, um, you can't just, like, leave those guys out in one-on-one coverage or leave them out on an island. Like, the, the field was still very much spread because the passing attack was uh, still a threat as they were driving, you know, down late. So it ended up, like, versus Dillon, where obviously BC's an improved uh, passing team this year, but uh, they don't have four wide receivers like Clemson do, uh, does. A.J. Uh, Brown is not the same passer that Lawrence is, and probably not Chase Bryce either, who's you know, a four-star talent. Uh, right, I
3: mean, Bryce you can bring in, and with that receiving core, even a true freshman who, unlike Lawrence, hadn't gotten snaps. Well, he got a couple of the week before, if I'm remembering right. I'm doing this all off memory, so hopefully I'm not talking completely sideways. But, you know, he came in and he still had poison control of what was going on because they were able to ground and pound it with uh, Etienne and allow him to kind of get a little bit, um, a little bit comfortable back in there, and then he converts that huge fourth down for him.
1: All right, so I think. Uh, do you guys have any other parting thoughts on this Clemson game? Uh, otherwise, we can kind of move on here because I don't know how much we want to weigh on a, a lot unfortunate loss. We should probably talk about it for an hour if we won this game. Oh yeah, and uh, forgot yeah. about it but. Alas, we do have to win this big game. But yeah, do you guys have anything else uh, on, on the Clemson game?
2: I just wanted to break down in a little bit of the game plan because last week we saw Syracuse run the ball quite a bit, meaning week before Clemson, obviously. But Clemson, they kind of did a reversal. There was a lot more passing and a lot more dropbacks for Dungy, uh this past week. And, you know, I think that, you know, you got to get Moneal going in a sense that. Once you establish a run, it opens a pass and all the old cliches and adjectives. But only threads to carry for him, so what really did it do? What what good did that run do? And I think that if you uh, if you look at special teams as well, Sterling Hofrichter had a hell of a game <laughs> punting the ball. The way that he shifted the field and flipped the field and gave Clemson bad field position to start, considering situations that Syracuse's offense was put in, I just think that he had a really, really solid game um, on on Sunday or Saturday. And then, finally, you mentioned the Cody Conway penalties. He had the ineligible downfield. And then that second quarter, the first drive of that second quarter, they uh, went for nine yards in the first two plays, and they had a third and one that was negated by a false – it was a false start penalty on Conway that took him back to third and six. Now – that's when the big play happened to Taj Harris. If you remember down the left sideline, uh, Dungy aired one out and Harris kept in, broke a tackle and stepped out on a bounce. He got 51. The next play, a screen pass went to Neil for 17 and then Dungy took it in two plays later. So in, in the long run, that penalty didn't cost them too much, but those, they had four penalties that offensive line did. And, Two of them proved costly. It was the Conway ineligible downfield. That's we could do a whole podcast about that play in general. But then it was an unnecessary roughness call on Roberts that first drive where Syracuse had the ball with 41 seconds left, or rather the first play of that drive, and you know that took him back eight more yards, and they that took him back to the 13 yard line. It was just ugly. So I feel like there were small things that needed cleaned up in this game, but overall, I mean, when you look at it from a giant scope it's a close loss uh, within one touchdown at the number three team in the country and in, in a conference game in that vacuum you have to be okay with it but it just feels like syracuse should have had this game
1: yeah it's, it's funny because looking at bill c's numbers like and obviously his his stuff doesn't account for like game flow really it just you know sees the numbers at the end and spits out what things look like and it only gave us like a nine percent win expectancy but also a 71% uh, performance uh, percentile, uh, which is all you need to know about how good Clemson is. But it definitely, like, I don't think anyone on either side watching that game would, at the end of the game said that Syracuse only had a 9% chance to win the game based on how they played. Like, Syracuse had Clemson on their heels with a 10-point uh, margin in, I think we had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. It was, it was about as close as you could get, and, like, you know, I think having beaten that team last year makes it a little more bitter even, but... Um, I think, assuming the rest of the season goes the way that it seems to be going, I think we'll be at more at peace with this. The special teams is definitely a great point. The special teams, I'm pretty sure we've ranked number one on most special teams metrics uh, as a whole unit um, all year since the Western Michigan game, and there's really nothing to – I mean, we didn't have a huge return in this one, but there's – actually, we didn't have a return at all. I think – I guess we had everything was touchbacks and fair catches. But Schmidt was three for three. He had a 51-yarder. Hit both his field goal, his extra points. Hofrichter unfortunately had to punt seven times, but but was money and pinning them back. Uh, the double touchbacks were not great, but like with the amount that he had to punt and with how many great punts he's had, like it's hard to really worry about one or two kicks in a game. But yeah, like the, that's just been such a huge advantage for Syracuse this year, especially when we've had some efficiency issues on offense um, and really, really, it's probably what kept us. Uh, Hanging on to that lead for so long, and what made it so hard for Clemson, or took, what made it difficult for Clemson to overcome it until those last couple drives. And if we're playing this special, if we're playing special teams like that all year, like we're going to be in really, really good shape because most offenses will not have the talent to overcome uh, the type of field position advantage that we're getting every single week now. with it's, I think we're past where you could call it like a fluke or like a a couple week like hot streak.
3: Yeah, and I, uh, I also think um, just. I want to put a plug in for us becoming punter You, I I don't know when the hell that happened, but cool.
1: As far <laughs> as I can remember, like, my my freshman year, it was – it wasn't Rob Long yet. It was – uh Oh, God. It was the 08 punter. Uh, yeah. West Virginia. I'm about to look up yeah. the Syracuse 2008 football roster, which is, like, one of the saddest things you can Google. Uh, oh,
3: yeah. I mean, you were, you were a freshman the same year I was up on the Hill at ESF for grad school, so – I uh, I feel your pain all all too well, Dan. It's uh, just that oh,
1: memories of of the northeastern game almost losing and the Akron game, which we
3: didn't. Um, I think I kind of had purged those from memory, but you know, I'm not looking. I'm looking this up. Maybe a long dip that year could have been. It might have been because he might have been the only bright spot that year,
1: and he I got a lot thinking, of friends. I was thinking of Pat Shable, the kicker.
3: Oh yeah,
1: it was money. Um, yes, yeah, so we've gone from long to, uh, to obviously, the Dodd Riley Bitson, to uh, Sterling Hoffer, and I think one's been better than the other. I, Hoff, Bitson, I think you can argue at this point, um, but they've all been incredible, and I guess, like, you probably wouldn't choose pointer U to be your thing, but if you, you know, I'd rather have uh, some position dominance than none, so we'll take it.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, moving on to halftime here, uh, as I'm sure you guys are aware, John and I talk way too much about craft beers. I was up at a wedding all weekend up in uh, the Hudson River Valley, so I got to enjoy a number of local things. Uh, my friend who works at Wolf Hollow Brewing uh, outside Schenectady uh, brought down some of their amber, uh, which they now have in cans, and they look really good. It tastes perfect. And, uh, their year one black fodder, which is delicious, and their white twit, which is delicious. And then, uh, I also had a bunch of juice bomb from Sloop, which is always a delight. And I had, uh, a problem, no problem from Jolly Pumpkin, uh, which was quite good. Um, if you're in the, uh, Highland area, Underground Coffee and Ales, I was there this weekend. Awesome beer list, uh, speak on the coffee, but also a good brunch. And they put the Syracuse team on for us, uh. Before we had to go back and get ready, which was me in between, like at every commercial break, I was like putting on a new article of like wedding suit. So uh, probably not the optimal way to watch the Clemson game, but I saw pretty much everything. So and and obviously had plenty plenty to drink in between, so that was good.
3: That's better than the Clemson game last year, where I was at my buddy's wedding. So
1: I was at a modest mouse concert watching the game on my phone, assuming that I was going to be fine when the actual show came on, and instead I pretty much ignored it and watched on my phone on the on the floor. (laughs)
3: Yeah, we had, uh, it was my friends who we have season tickets with who had their uh, wedding on a Friday explicitly so that they didn't overlap one of the football games, and then they put the Clemson game on a Friday.
1: (laughs) I haven't seen the LSU game last year. Yeah. The, The game got switched onto the wedding date that they set because it was supposed to be like a nothing game. Of course. What have you guys so, been drinking this, uh, the last couple, or however long, because you haven't been on the podcast. So you, didn't, you can lie <laughs> and just give your, be- your best recommendations. It doesn't really matter.
3: Well, I had a hell of a week beer-wise. Uh, my buddies and I made the uh, the Boston Loop, the Trillium Treehouse, Armsby Abbey, went out for, uh, just took a day off on Friday and went out and did the loop. Um, Trillium, basically highlights were peanut butter PM Don on tap there as well as a couple of the um, not, uh, curiosities. Either way, PM Don is absolutely delicious, an American stout with cold brew coffee. Uh, they did a peanut butter batch that they have solely on tap right now, which if you can get out there, do it. It's a uh, little, little on the uh, heavy side at 10.1%. The original, I'm looking at a can because I'm drinking it, is 9%. Um, absolutely amazing. Uh, Trillium, I don't know if I've ever had a bad beer from, so you can't really go wrong there. Um, and then Treehouse, I mean, they had Julius Alter, Alter Ego. Um, we actually were able to make it for the Impermanence release, which is one of their, uh, bottled stouts, which, oh my God, I, I can't wait to crack that. But, uh, way too, uh, way, way too excited about the beer this week, so.
1: Well, it's a week to have you on then. Uh so yeah. this is always, like, uh, wonderful. I unfortunately haven't been up there yet, but I have friends in, like, upstate Connecticut slash Massachusetts, and anytime there's, like, Thanksgiving or something where we're back uh, home, I they almost always have stopped at Treehouse at some point, and uh, I never complain.
3: Yeah, the new stuff, I mean, I'm kind of, uh, it's weird, I'm kind of the Haze thing. I've never had a bed here from Treehouse, but I'm kind of past their mainline stuff, like, Julius is delicious. Alter Ego is still my favorite beer they've ever done. Well, Triple A Alter Ego. Um, but, like, the weird uh, other stuff they're doing, like, their ESB was amazing. Bear, their brown ale, was phenomenal. Um, I can't wait to try this stout, like, the single shot series. They're just, they're knocking it out of the park. And for whatever style you want to, so.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Since they has been so, like, IPA-focused, at least, like, Having not been up there, that's generally been their, their bag. But it's awesome when they're like, you know, able to branch out and do some other stuff at a high level as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. you down near you is, uh, well, down near where you were rather, you know, between Hudson Valley and Plan B and Suarez, they're killing things in the Hudson Valley too.
1: Yeah, uh, Suarez is like getting pretty popular down here in the city, which is nice. Um, and we're able to get most of that stuff down the river now, which is, which is cool. It's not just, uh, not just the New York city's, uh, exclusive stuff, which is good, but it's hard to really complain about what we're getting down here. Um, Corey, how about you?
2: You know, I've been kind of out of the beer game for a little bit because of surgery and recovery and stuff. So doctors want me off the sauce, but earlier, but earlier in the summer, um, I, I live in near Youngstown, Ohio, which is smack dab in the middle of Cleveland, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I get the best and the worst of both worlds in terms of a lot of things, including sports and beer. One thing that I was drinking towards the middle of summer, at least once I got back into Ohio, is uh, it's called Uncle Ray Searage's Bucko Blonde, and it's brewed by North Country uh Canning Company in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, which is I don't know an hour outside of Pittsburgh, maybe not even that, a little towards my way. And it's Uncle Ray Searage is the pitching coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he helped this brew company, you know, make this beer, and they they uh, donate proceeds it's part of them to Make A Wish Foundation, and it's a it's a blonde ale, it's a summer ale, it's a really nice light beer, um, but also. Great Lakes in Cleveland. I don't know if you guys have ever tried any of their beers. Their Oktoberfest is out, and I can't wait to hit some of the holiday beers. Their Oktoberfest is great. Their Christmas sale is great. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty pretty big drinker on the Great Lakes. Uh, they have quite a few good beers out there. So, But those are the two that I was into, um, at least before the, the medical stuff kind of took over, and I had to go back to water with a little bit of lemon.
1: Uh yeah, Great Lakes. When I was at Cuse, was like all over the place there. Uh, don't get them as much down here in New York City, but I always remember like they were always rock solid, so it's not a bad option. Um. So speaking of uh, Pennsylvania, we have the Pittsburgh Panthers this week. We are uh, on the road at Heinz Field. I had until this week, and I don't know why I didn't assume or like why I didn't believe this was a possibility. I had no idea it had not been. We hadn't won there since 01. Obviously, the series has just been very dumb. Where these teams go on long stretches of wins without, uh, you know, really breaking. And hopefully, last year's win portends some more for us. That would kind of be you know, in the in the spirit of how the series has gone. Um, that being said, even though Pitt does not look very good at two and three, with uh, some really iffy losses, especially the one to UNC, who looks really bad, uh, and then getting, I mean. Penn State and UCF were really good. They were both ranked 13th when they played both of them. And it looked like we did in Clemson. So um, those two are harder to blame, but the UNC loss is really glaring. It's not like they like, look like world beaters against a pretty mediocre Georgia Tech side or Albany. But it's still pit and we always lose to them. Uh, we haven't won there forever. Uh, the 2011 game will star me for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> just one of the ugliest football games you can ever attend. Uh, I will always see Chan Jones not running that interception back in the back of my mind. But, like, on paper, like, we're favorites on the road, which is a very rare thing for Syracuse. Um, I think the line's floating between, like, three and a half and five and a half, depending on the, the moment and uh, where you check. Um, but, like, this should be one of the games that we want to get here down the stretch, like this and the UNC game, or the, the two that should be the easy five and six, or the quote-unquote easy five and six. Um, I think... Uh, I'm not alone in saying that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I need to see it first just because of how this series has gone. But this could be like, I mean, this if we win this weekend, five and one, we'll probably be in the top twenty-five, which will be nuts. I'm very excited. Uh, you're going to the game, Tory. Um, what is what is your what are your initial thoughts here? What 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 are the the main keys to stopping this team? I assume it'll be run defense, just because Pitt, you know, is always so heavy on the ground and, and looked to be pretty good there once again.
2: Well, I mean, Pitt, a lot of odds makers have pit winning this game. Some of them have them winning it, you know, by, you know, field goal. I've seen some odds makers have them winning by five. I mean, kind of along the line with that spread, like you said, not only to cover, but to win outright. And uh, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that the way Syracuse's front seven, you know, you talk about Pitt running the ball, I think the way Syracuse's front seven is orchestrated right now, and the way they've been playing, especially that front four, um, Given what happened last week at Clemson, I I think you can kind of put an asterisk on it to a degree with a guy like like ETN running the ball versus what Pitt's going to bring to you guys. I I just think that this is going to be a a different Syracuse team we're going to see on the field because now they have this kind of knockdown. You know, when teams are riding high, they run high, and they think that they can't be beat by anybody and they're on top of the world. Well, this Clemson game kind of brings things back down to earth a little bit. And when you look at you know just from a numbers pers- numbers perspective, Syracuse leads the conference in scoring forty four appropriately forty four point two points per game. Pitt is eleventh in the conference in scoring, almost half of that twenty two points a game. So it, you got it. If you're Syracuse's defense, quite honestly, when you look at the Clemson game in a vacuum, you gave up twenty seven to one of the more high powered offenses in the country. And I know you you had them kind of on the ropes through three quarters, and maybe that fourth quarter could have gone differently, had a couple of other plays, you know, gone a different way. And maybe that could have been held back to about 17 or even 14. But the point is, the Syracuse defense has been pretty solid all season. I, I don't necessarily think that a three-and-a-half-point favorite Syracuse going in, I think it could be even more of that. I don't know if Syracuse is getting undersold right now because they really haven't Per se, proven themselves as a top twenty-five team. Obviously, obviously they're not ranked, so people don't think they're a top twenty-five team, uh, team by popularity. But it feels like this Syracuse team can compete with some of those some of those powers in the in the country. So, I, I think that when you have a team like Pitt, who, like you said, lost two of their three games to top fifteen teams, national champion UCF and Penn State. I think that Pitt's going to come in with a little chip. So I think it's this little headbutting that we're going to see on Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be high-scoring like it was two years ago. What was it, 76-61 two years ago?
1: Yeah, something um,
2: like that. I don't think we're going to see that. Now, last season, I covered the Pitt game last season at Syracuse. It was 27-24, and it felt like all game Syracuse was in control. Kind of a similar thing. at Syracuse was kind of in control and then kind of let Pitt back into it. If Syracuse gets a, gets a lead, they got to find a way to hold on to that dang thing because, quite honestly, that's where these solid teams in the country, that's where they get their, their notoriety from. It's the ability to get a lead and then hold on to it, not let other teams back in the games. So Syracuse, first of all, being the favorite. Second of all, just the way they played last week. You take away that fourth quarter, they played really solid football last week. I, I just think that this is a different Syracuse team than what we're used to seeing I don't think Pitt is going to be you know too much of a challenge offensively, but defensively it might be a lower scoring game than we think. Yeah, I don't think it'll be in one thirties. So that 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 much is for sure.
3: What did they set the under over at for this one? Did you anybody see that?
2: Uh, um, over under right now is at like fifty fifty eight and a half. I believe e. that's right. Yeah.
3: All right. So Vegas is looking to make it another the over under.
2: <laughs> I'm on, I'm that... on, I'm on uh, oddshark.com right now. They have Pitt winning thirty to twenty eight and they have obviously the over, Um, they have 58.5. They have that as a 75% chance to go over.
3: Yeah, I don't see any way that Pitt uh, puts up that many points on us, and I also, the way that, again, this is going off of seeing just the U.S. or UCF game, the way that secondary of Pitt's looked like absolute Swiss cheese, um, I think they averaged close to 10 yards a reception. Uh, UCF averaged close to 10 yards of reception against them. Um, I don't see how Dungy doesn't just carve these guys up.
1: Yeah, I, I think that Pitt's defense has been really shaky the last couple years. I mean, really going back to that, that first that year, game two years ago when we dropped 60 on them with uh, Zach Mahoney, um, which is weird because Pat Narduzzi has such a strong uh, defensive reputation coming from Michigan State, and that's obviously like very in keeping with the, the whole pit persona as a town and, and, you know, with the Steelers and the Panthers. But, like, that's just not been who they are. They A couple of years ago, they were a, a high-storing team with James Conner and Tyler Boyd. Uh, Tyler Boyd might have been longer ago. Or, I don't know if he yeah. was two years ago. Um, uh,
3: uh, yeah, that was his comeback year. Okay. Then so he got drafted.
1: That was a year where they were throwing you know, 40 points to beat teams, and they were giving up a bunch. Um, last year, they were pretty mediocre. This year, they are... Uh, spending a lot of points to, again, like, good competition, but um, it's not exactly, you know, the, it's, you don't want to give up 51 points to Penn State and then 45 to UCF. Or 38 to UNC, who had just lost to an ECU team that was on the verge of firing of their coach. So it's it's hard to, like, I don't want to totally write off Pitt. Um, I think that's a lot because of the history of, the recent history of this series, uh, especially since I've been following Syracuse, but um, it does scare you a little bit in terms of, like, Having this uh, this much confidence.
3: Um, yeah, I may have uh, I may have been mildly dismissive earlier, looking strictly on paper. But yeah, we don't, paper, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't travel to Oakland. We don't travel to Oakland well at all, or haven't as long as I mean, hell, I've been a Cubs fan since the McNabb years, and no matter when it's been, we've not traveled well to Pit.
1: Yeah, so the one thing I will say is, uh, while they do run the ball pretty well, and Roger Alton's been very good there since he's uh, you know, entered college, I think he was the one who kind of stepped into James Conner when he was dealing with the, the cancer diagnosis. Yep. Um, he has 404 yards in the year already. He's averaging almost six to Terry. His backup in mm-hmm. hall is uh, over six to Terry. Uh, they both can run kind of home run hitters. The passing game doesn't scare me as much. Kenny Pickett's only throwing for about six yards in an attempt, which is very, very pedestrian. Uh, five touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's interception prone, but the fact that he's thrown, you know, four and five games against a secondary that's been very, very opportunistic. Um, I'd be surprised if we didn't get him at least once this game. So on paper, I think it's yeah. very fair to, to say this is one that Syracuse should win. Um, but it, you know, we'll find
3: out a lot. I could see Pitt trying to maybe you know utilize Pickett, maybe dinking and Duncan underneath that secondary to try and open up that run game a little. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a weird uh, what they're going to do to try and break through. I can't quite put my finger on it, but he's uh, Pickett's always been consistent, if nothing else. I think he's completed 62% of his passes this year. So, you know, maybe they try and keep him short, keep him underneath the coverage, and see what happens, especially if we're sitting in that nickel.
1: It wouldn't surprise me much if they watch the end of that Clemson game and, and you see you know what you can do when you get this defense on its heels and on the field for a long stretch of time. I think we will be able to overload it into Allison a little bit more than we obviously were able to against Etienne and, and Feaster and Choice. But right. um, I don't think that the threats that Pitt presents on the outside are nearly as scary. My, I, I,
3: I don't immediately fear for Chris Frederick trying to cover someone this week <laughs> as no. I did last week.
1: No, and 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 I thought you know Frederick and Trill Williams and 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 Scoop Bradshaw I thought had a really nice game. He had that really nice play in the end zone. I think the cornerbacks have proven that they can they can deal with a, a pretty a pretty wide ranging uh, receiving core. Uh, do you guys worry? I, I, I've been kind of between two spaces in terms of how the Clemson team impacts this game, which is very like pseudoscience-y, but it's always one of those things that comes up, uh, you know, in during a college ball season. Um, I'm not sure if I am a little worried because the Clemson loss, I'm sure, was very emotional and kind of a letdown spot with this pit game coming up where, you know, Pitt's a rival, but they're about as boring a rival as you could have and no one really puts a lot into this game. Or if the fact that, you know, you look at the polls, we're sitting in the third receiving, uh, the third All-Star receiving vote spot in both polls now. If you win the game, unless there's just a complete stagnation elsewhere, odds are you're going to jump into the top 25, and that should be like a t- that should be a hugely... That should be something that really drives this team. So I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get the the post Clemson kind of malaise, or if this team just says, screw it. We're going on the road. We're going to win this game. We're going to go get in the top 25 for the first time in uh, what 17 years." Um, I kind of wonder what the balance there is and what what you guys how you guys see this team uh, getting motivated here.
2: I th- I think some motivation can come from a lot of different sources. Number one, of course, Eric Dungy... Going on the road in Pittsburgh, final time. You really think that, given the way that it went two years ago in Pittsburgh, that this is this is how Eric Dungy wants to be remembered in this matchup, at least. Um, number two, I think that kind of in a sense of rallying, like I said earlier, about um, how the defense played well by and large for three quarters and then kind of let it slip in the fourth. I think it's I think it's a good thing to show that you've cleaned up the mistakes that you've made in the game previous so some of the offensive miscues obviously the uh offensive line penalties there's a lot of stuff to clean up i I feel like syracuse should feel confident going into this because of what happened last week but also is there a little bit of a letdown hangover in spite of what happened last week that's what i'm kind of afraid of here
1: yeah that's kind of where i'm at i I think this team feels different. It feels like a team that's going to be highly motivated all year. I, I don't know that you're ever going to catch Eric Dungy, not at anything but 100%, especially because he has not – I mean, he, he, he beat Pitt last year, but he uh, did has not played at Pitt before. So I, I think he will uh, want to get up for this game. But also, like, the top 25 is just right there. And if you're not going to get motivated to do something that a Syracuse team hasn't done in almost two decades, like, I don't know – how else you'll ever get motivated for one of these middling ACC games, which uh, which we have a lot of coming up. So um, it should be a good, like the way that they come out in this game, I think will tell us a lot about the rest of the season.
3: Yeah. And like you said, it really does, I don't know, I can't put my finger on how or why or what it is. Something really does feel different about this team. It's not the same old Syracuse that we're used to seeing, the same old Syracuse that we're used to um, just, feeling that kind of Yeah, they won but like there there really does seem to be a different air about this squad. I don't know how or why to put my finger on it, but I'll take it one way or another.
1: It definitely feels different than any team aside from maybe that twenty twelve second half after we had we had fallen yeah. two and four and then we just kinda of figured things out and one six to the last seven to, to and then the pinstripe pull, obviously which we uh we very well may find ourselves there again. Um, I think that's just been the very easy, maybe borderline lazy uh, spot that people have picked us in. Now that we are pretty much like in any any bowl conversation every time, as we should be at four and one, it does sound like pinstripe is. I mean, and it makes sense. Pinstripe, if we're if we're able to be selected there, I think they would love to have us. We always will turn out like a pretty solid base of you know 20,000, 30,000 fans. Um, and I don't think we should be complaining about any bowl selection at this point. Uh, personally, I wouldn't mind a trip down to Nashville in December, but that <laughs> might just be me. I don't know that El Paso is in the cards. But overall, uh, just kind of switching gears here, since you know Pitt's not the most exciting opponent, and we uh, don't have a lot to say about them uh, overall. Assuming looking a little ahead and getting ahead of ourselves, only four wins here so far. Uh, if you had to pick like our realistic bowl destination, what would it be?
3: You got I, go, I got to go where I was beginning of the year. I went uh, optimistically. I went military okay. and it seems like a realistic it. Then it was kind of a long shot. Like, you know, I, my rationale was there's going to be a ton of uh, six and six or middling ACC teams. And, you know, maybe we end up in the shuffle on the top end of them and we have a decent DMV, you know, presence as far as alumni base. So the difference now is there's not all those middling middle of the pack teams, but we actually seem to be in a spot where it's feasible. I don't know. <laughs> I
1: think that'd be a decent spot. I mean, like you said, we could travel there. We have a ton of DMV alumni, especially in the DC area. Um, it'd be a, a nice, like slight diversion from the not Although it's been a little bit now, it's been like five years since we went there. Right. So it's not, no you know, matter what there.
3: we're, like, we have to be, when the pinstripe bowl is looking at ideal people to have their, just because of where they fall in the rankings, like, we've got to be in the top two or three names that they're going to select.
1: Yeah, unless they can get, like, Notre Dame, like they did the one time, like, I right. think we're definitely in that next group. Uh, and they won't want to take us every year, because eventually it'll get really stale, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's where we end up, and, you know, it, it'll be hard to complain. They're, I've been to the pinstripe bowls, like, they're, it's a fun game, so... So yeah, uh, Corey, if you had a your your shot choice, uh, assuming that we're not going to like the Orange Bowl, um, what what would your ideal pick be? How appropriate would the Orange Bowl be? Oh, it'd be so good. I mean, I'm not to <laughs> I'm not going to dismiss the Orange Bowl outright, but I think if we had beaten Clemson, we could really get we could really be talking about the Orange Bowl this week.
2: Um, I'm thinking along the lines of you guys, military bowl, straight Bowl certainly makes sense. Um. What about the Belk Bowl at Charlotte? That's an interesting one to me.
1: Belk be fun. That's usually a, a really nice, that's a d- good game. It's a very ACC game. I think we'd really, really be welcomed in as, as a true member of the conference, being able to go down to Charlotte and play in a bowl for a department store that probably most Syracuse fans have not been to. Um, is there one in Syracuse? Not that I remember.
3: Is uh, definitely. that what Belk is?
1: Yeah, it's like a, I think it's like a, a Macy's type deal. I'm pretty sure.
3: Well, as someone who grew up in upstate New York and then moved to Syracuse and lived in Boston and Alaska, I had no idea what a Belk was, so probably yeah, Belk,
1: Belk is an American department store that um, looked like the nearest ones in Maryland, uh, at least to me in here in New York City, so I'm going to say there's probably not one anywhere near Syracuse, no. but yeah, I think it's like a, a nice department store, um, based on my knowledge of Belk. I haven't been to one, but I, I have family in Charlotte, so I'm like generally aware of their existence.
2: Yeah, I have no Belk. I have no Belk around me. Um, department store. I have I have like 16 Walmarts around me, of course. Maybe 10 TJ Maxx's. I'm trying to think of what else. A bunch of Circuit Cities closed. I remember Circuit City. That was fun. Electronics. Kmart's. A bunch of Kmart's just closed up. So it's a little different around where I'm at.
1: It's actually shocking to me that there's no Walmart or Kmart bowl game, now that I'm thinking about it. Like... How have we not? I mean, there might have been at one point, but I don't remember it. No, the Bell could be fun, especially because we get to interact with the Twitter feed, which is the Belk the Belt Bowl Twitter feed. If, if people are not aware, because we haven't really been anywhere near the discussion, is one of the great, the great Bowl Twitter feeds ever. They are the the guys, the, the I think just one person runs it, uh, very funny. Uh, so that
2: would be that'd be a good time in the the couple weeks leading up. But the Zaxby's Bowl, the, the Zaxby's, what is that? Is that the Chicken Bowl? What do they call it? I think it? that's the Heart of Dallas Bowl. That is the Heart of Dallas Bowl. Um, but Zaxby's chicken is good. I wouldn't put it ahead of Popeyes or Church's in my rankings, but it's good. Zaxby's is solid. I've been a
1: couple times down south. Uh, the Heart of Dallas Bowl. Is, uh, what what are they? I'm trying to remember their their affiliation. Um, I mean, obviously, like once you get to those type of games, like it kind of goes out the window based on how many teams. Wait, is it
2: is Big Ten game? versus? Big Ten versus Conference USA or ACC in Dallas.
1: I'm actually sad to report this is no longer this. Zats- this is this is so Texas. This is no longer the Zatsby's Heart of Dallas Bowl. This is now the First Responder Bowl sponsored by Serve Pro. Well, I don't want to be in it now. Hmm. And they use the College Bowl Playoff logo as the Owen Responder. <laughs> so well, I guess that's a thing that's we could do something. Well, the ACC needs to update the website. Also, it's yeah. I don't even know if it's a ACC affiliate. Is it? Did you say it, it was?
2: Well, the Zaxby's the Zaxby's Heart of Dallas Bowl was. It was Big Ten versus either Conference USA or ACC. Yeah. So these things changed so much. I had no
1: idea this this had changed. Uh, it's it's um, the First Responder Bowl is just such a oh that's so much. <laughs> that is so much of a name. This is like devastating to me. I, I was I knew there was some Heart of Dallas Bowl controversy in the town of Dallas. I was not aware this is what happened. Um, but we all, we all learn things on this podcast. Um, so yeah, since we're, we're brushing up against an hour here, um, let's just get back to the pit game and we can just go to our, our predictions here. Um, Steve, you want to go first on a, a, prediction prediction for the outcome and a store for the Syracuse pit game this weekend.
3: Oh god, now I got to remember what I say today when I submit something to Kevin later tonight. Uh, <laughs>
1: I'll I, I always just go first. and write it down and then I send it to John. <laughs> so this is a good way to like get
2: yourself on the record
1: and not have to think about it too much. Perfect. Uh,
2: I'll go first. In the meantime, I think I think it is going to be a lower scoring game than people think. Um, I'm, I'm not a betting man, and I know it's not right in some places. But for entertainment purposes, for what it's worth, I'd probably take that under. I, I think it's going to be like a 20 to 14 game, if if anything like that. Um, I do think Syracuse wins it. I, I don't see how – I understand the way they lost to the Clemson can be deflating. I totally understand why it would be and how it could be. But it, at the end of the day, I think Syracuse is the more talented football team. I think they're hungrier. I think they understand – You know, I think Coach Babers under, has this team and an understanding of where they are and where they can be by season's end, and this is one of those rungs on that ladder to get up. I, I think between this week, next week, that NC State in a couple weeks, should NC State still be ranked, um, are going to be really telling for this Orange team. And I, I feel confident now about rolling this team out there, about what the offense is comprised of, what the defense can do. You know, you lose three starting linebackers like that, and it seems like they're not, you know, of course you're going to miss them, but it seems like they were replaced almost seamlessly uh, with the production that Syracuse has been getting from uh, Guthrie and Armstrong. i got to give a shout-out to Andrew Armstrong because he's a – local product from where I'm from, Cardinal Mooney High School. Um, I, I think Syracuse wins it. I'll, I'll to go 2014. I
3: might go the opposite. Uh, not that Pitt's winning because that's not happening. Um, Syracuse 38, pit 20, I think I settled on. I think Vegas is uh, relying a little too much on the Syracuse name and not the product we've trotted out on the field. Uh, I don't think that secondary can contain what we can do in the passing game. Maybe Pitt can snag some ground or, uh, some ground yards and uh, make it a game, but I'm thinking we're walking on this one. How yeah, after,
1: you, after expressing all my concerns in this podcast, I'm actually going to go closer to Steve. I'm going to go Syracuse 35, Pitt uh, 17, so there's a slight field goal bump down from your store overall for each side, uh, and I guess that, that's the under. I just I'm not sold on this Pitt offense. Uh, they haven't proven that they can point against any real competition uh, thus far this year. And I'm I'm willing to bet that Syracuse is going to come out uh, very energized, ready to go. Uh, it's a twelve twenty uh, uh, just post just afternoon start at Pitt. Uh, not that Pitt ever really gets too up for these games, unless it's like Penn State. But like that, I've been there twice. I think for for Syracuse Pitt games, it's a pretty sleepy atmosphere. Uh, even compared to, like, a half-full Terrier Dome. Um, so I don't think that's going to be a huge factor. It's not a huge travel uh, ask for the team. So I like Syracuse to win this one. I think it'll be relatively comfortable. Um, and I know, saying this now, that on Saturday afternoon, I will be uh, really, I'll be, like, biting my nails and really gritting it out. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go closer to, like, what it looks like on paper versus my, my internal fears about any pit game. And, uh, yeah, I'll go 35-17 orange. To do five and one, and hopefully break into the top twenty-five, which will be just a, a, a weird and surreal moment. Yeah, I don't really, I can't really process that yet. No, we have to definitely win the game first, and then I'll, then we'll yeah. move
3: on. But because it's been what ninety? was it. The I think it was a one. I think it was the Dwayne Freeney year. Huh?
1: Way, it's time... been a one was last time.
3: Really, really long time. Yes, a
1: one was the last time we beat Pitt at Heinz Field, and assuming they were playing there then, which I assume they were. And it was the last time that we were ranked, I believe. Um, I have so to go check that again. So you're saying I was in high school? I, I guess I am saying that I was. Uh, I was in middle school. So definitely, uh, I can't believe it's been that long. Like, oh,
3: was, uh, was was Prager even born then?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, well, <laughs> little Andy Predler was was probably rooting for Pitt. Um, <laughs> he might have been at that time. <laughs> at that point, no, he would have been like he would have been real young though. Um, <laughs> and I mean, there's probably someone on the staff that was like a toddler. Oh, just Ross definitely.
3: Brandon definitely wasn't. <laughs> he might have been born actually.
2: Praigler wasn't a Pitt fan, was he? Well,
3: he's from he was, Pitt. He's from so Pitt. So
2: I, I don't know if we know
3: if he was, I
1: think he would never tell us now, but <laughs> I
2: hope, I hope he'd have the decency. See, like where I'm at and it's Northeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. I could, I could hit a golf ball in a Pennsylvania. That's how close I am to the line. It's, not necessarily pit fans. It's more Penn State fans, my way at least. So I'm wondering if it's the same the same way down there. There's far more Ohio State football fans around here than anything else, though. It's it's almost ridiculous. That yeah, least wasn't Keely. at least he wasn't
1: Keeley.
3: At least he wasn't Keeley.
1: I can't really blame Sean. I was a, a Notre Dame UConn fan growing up, so not not much better. <laughs>
3: well, I'm glad you I'm glad you both saw the light.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was
2: a Buckeye fan growing up. Yeah. No
3: you, growing up 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 near around it was like. Syracuse was our pro team. So, and then I inherited the bills cause I love pain. <laughs> I mean,
1: I guess, I guess like that makes, that makes it just easier to digest all of it every fall.
3: Oh yeah. Like the fall, usually I used to make the joke that after week, like seven of the pro season, I didn't have to pay attention to any football for the rest of the year.
1: <laughs> all right. So uh, hopefully this was uh this was a, a positive experience for everyone. Uh, we hope John is doing well. Uh, I think, all, all signs are that he is uh, with the new baby, and he will be able to watch uh, his orange go uh, into the world ranked for the first time um, in what we believe is 17 years. So thank you, for, uh, th- thank you for hopping on here with me, like literally last minute. Uh, I think I messaged everyone at like 7 p.m., and we recorded this podcast two hours later, so I really appreciate that. Not a problem. Um,
2: yeah, My happy pleasure. to be here. Looking forward to Saturday, too. I'll be in uh I'll be in Pittsburgh and Heinz Field, so follow along for those updates. Yes,
1: follow. Cor- what's your uh, What's your Twitter handle, just so everyone can uh, jump on that now.
2: It's at CD and It's my first initial, middle initial. Don't guess my last name, and then last name. It's CD as in Nancy. Pick a word. There you go. <laughs>
1: All right, so don't follow Corey. He will be live from Heinz Field for this game for hopefully the big fifth win for the Orange. Uh, So, yeah, this has been Dan, Corey, and Steve filling in. Uh, Hopefully everyone gets to celebrate uh, a big win this weekend. And uh, thank you for listening, and go Orange. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota.
3: Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.